0: Hello from the Financial Times in London, I'm Jyotsna Singh, Delhi reporter, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. President Trump has dashed hopes for a peace deal with the Taliban that were intended to pave the way for the US to withdraw the last of its troops from Afghanistan.
1: They're dead, they're dead, as far as I'm concerned, they're dead. They thought that they had to kill people in order to put themselves in a little better negotiating position. When they did that, they killed 12 people. One happened to be a great American soldier, a wonderful young man from Puerto Rico, families from Puerto Rico. And you can't do that. You can't do that with me. So they're dead, as far as I'm concerned. And we've hit the Taliban harder in the last four days than they've been hit in over 10 years.
0: That was Donald Trump explaining why he decided to call off talks with the Afghan Taliban. So how does this leave the war-torn country as it prepares for presidential elections at the end of this month? Farhan Bukhari and Stephanie Finlay have been investigating and they are here with me to discuss this. Stephanie, to you first, what's the situation in Afghanistan now? How much of the country does the Taliban control?
2: Going into September, there was anticipation that there would be some kind of peace agreement announcement following nine months of negotiation between U.S. negotiators and Taliban negotiators in Qatar. Then President Donald Trump unexpectedly dropped this announcement on Twitter that he had called a secret summit at Camp David and then cancelled the secret summit at Camp David. The first consequence of this was that it meant that the Afghanistan presidential elections would go ahead, because there had been rumors that instead of voting, that there would be an interim government put in place as the Taliban and the Afghan government held talks. So first of all, it meant that the presidential elections will go ahead. And this is happening at a time when we've seen a spike in violence over the past year. And the collapse of these talks or perhaps not collapse but we can say the postponement of these talks because it's expected that the U.S. will come back to the table because they will want to push for a political settlement have meant that both the U.S. and the Taliban are expected to step up attacks to put pressure on each other. Who has what under control? It depends on who you ask. I was just talking to a member of President Ghani's campaign team, and he said that out of 5,300 polling stations, only 400 would not be open because of security concerns. But then you have some estimates that are saying that the Taliban is controlling over 30, 40, 50 percent of the territory. But I think it is clear that over the past year, the Taliban has increased in strength and we are seeing them launch more attacks. So what role did the talks with
0: the Taliban play in ensuring a smooth exit for U.S. troops and how close were both sides to agreeing a deal?
2: U.S. President Donald Trump has said that he has wanted to end the war. He criticized the Afghan war even before coming into office. This has been a priority for him, especially to use it as part of his campaign going into the 2020 elections. So these talks were going to give the U.S. a withdrawal timeline, allow them to pull out, and in exchange they wanted security guarantees from the Taliban that they would not allow Afghan soil to be used to launch international terror attacks. It appeared that they were quite close to closing this deal. U.S. Special Afghan Envoy Khalilzad had said that they were very close to doing the deal. But then, of course, Mr. Trump came in and called the secret Camp David summit, ended the secret Camp David summit, and the talks were postponed or at least put on the back burner for now. How many U.S. troops remain and how crucial is their role? So this is the longest war in the U.S. history. It's 18 years now. There are about 14,000 US troops and they're mainly providing a train and assist role. The US is conducting more airstrikes than it has done in the history of the war. This is not only on the Taliban, but also on ISIS in Afghanistan let's also not forget that the U.S. is a major donor to the Afghan government and the security forces. So the troops are on the ground and that is used to apply pressure on the Taliban. But then there's also lots of money and staff being put onto the administration side and the state support side for Afghanistan.
0: Farhan, alarmingly, there are signs that ISIS fighters pushed out of their Middle East strongholds, are now turning up in Afghanistan and joining forces with the remnants of Al-Qaeda. How long has this been going on?
1: The reports on the arrival of ISIS fighters to Afghanistan stretch to more than two years, but certainly in the last one year. There have been reports of not only larger numbers of fighters turning up from the Middle East, joining their compatriots in Afghanistan, but also moving from location to location in larger numbers. There have also been reports of gatherings where leaders of different groups have come to deliver sermons. So the activity on the ground seems to have become more intense Certainly since the second quarter of 2018.
0: How important do you think has the Taliban been in preventing a resurgence of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan?
1: The Taliban have never said overtly or in public that they are opposed to al-Qaeda. But obviously, over a period of time, it's become clear to many people that the Taliban consider themselves to be the only force in Afghanistan, the only anti-government, anti-U.S. force in Afghanistan. Over the last four to five years, it's been clear to many people that the Taliban Tolerance for Al-Qaeda has shrunk considerably. Al-Qaeda is tolerated nowhere even close to where it was under Osama bin Laden on the eve of 9-11.
0: Tell us about the Afghan branch of ISIS. When was it formed and who are its backers?
1: The first signs of an entity formed which was described as ISIS was way back in 2015 when a body known as wilayat e khorasan was formed. But since then, the group has evolved into a bigger entity and has gained a larger presence in Afghanistan.
0: Do you think it is capable of regrouping to carry out terror attacks in Europe or the US?
1: It's very hard to say that 9/11 was categorically a very different situation. I think in addition to Europe or the US as target, I think it's also the danger of pro-US or pro-Western governments in the Middle East being targeted. So I think it's not just reaching out to distant locations five or 10,000 miles away, it's nearer locations around the Gulf, the Middle East in general.
0: Stephanie, what of the situation in Kabul? Will the cancelling of peace talks raise the risk of a resurgence of violence during the presidential elections?
2: So there was this great uncertainty just a couple weeks ago, will the elections even take place? And amid that, there was a rise in violence. This year has been an extremely bloody year. When the talks were cancelled by Trump, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was boasting that they killed a 1,000 Taliban fighters in just one week. So we're already seeing an escalation of violence. And until both sides come back to the table, both sides will continue to use violence as a form of leverage to get what they want out of the future negotiations. So presidential elections are scheduled for September 28th, and the Taliban have described the current government as a sham government. They have said that they don't believe in the election, so the violence is only expected to continue.
0: Thanks, Stephanie and Farhan, and thanks for listening. Don't forget if you missed our episodes on the future of flying taxis, UK's constitutional crisis over Brexit, or the recent changes at the heart of Saudi oil industry. You can find them on all the usual podcast platforms.
2: Planning for your next trip?
1: Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.